welcome back, fast asleepers. Thanks for being here. The New Yorker calls Joyce Carol Oates an unruly genius and indifferent to the concept of overkill. When you reach the end of this episode, whether you're in darkness or daylight, let me know if you agree. Prepare yourself. All right, tuck in everybody and let's enjoy part two of Upon the Sweeping Flood. When the house began to shake sometime later, Stuart cried aloud, This is it! He stumbled to his feet, waving the axe. He turned around and around, as if he were in a daze. You gonna chop something with that? The boy said, pulling at him. Hey, no, that ain't yours to, it ain't yours to chop. They struggled for the axe. The boy sobbed. It ain't yours. It ain't yours. And Stuart's rage at his own helplessness, at the folly of his being here, for an instant almost made him strike the boy with the axe. But the girl slapped him furiously. Get away from him. I swear I'll kill you, she screamed. Something exploded beneath them. Oh, that's the windows, the girl muttered, clinging to Stuart. And how am I to clean it again? The old jerk will want it clean and mud over everything. Stuart pushed her away so that he could swing the axe. Pieces of soft, rotted wood exploded back onto his face. The boy screamed insanely as the boards gave way to a deluge of wind and water. And even Stuart wondered if he'd made a mistake. The three of them fell beneath the onslaught. And Stuart lost the axe, felt the handle slam against his leg. You! You! Stuart cried, pulling at the girl. For an instant, blinded by pain, he could not think who he was, what he was doing, whether he had any life beyond this moment. The big-faced, husky girl made no effort to hide her fear and cried, Wait! Wait! But he dragged her to the hole and tried to force her out. My brother, she gasped. He seized, she seized his wrists and tried to get away. Get out there. There isn't any time, Stuart muttered. The house seemed about to collapse at any moment. He was pushing her through the hole against the shattered wood when she suddenly flinched back against him and saw that her cheek was cut and she was choking. He snatched her hands away from her mouth as if he wanted to see something secret. Blood welled out between her lips. She coughed and spat blood onto him. You're all right, he said, oddly pleased. 
Now get out there and I'll get the kid. I'll take care of him. This time she managed to crawl through the hole with Stuart pushing her from behind. When he turned to seize the boy, the boy clung to his neck, sobbing something about God. God loves you, Stuart yelled. Loves the least of you, the least of you. The girl pulled her brother up in her great arms and Stuart was free to climb through himself. It was actually quite a while, perhaps an hour, before the battering of the trees and the wind pushed the house in. The roof fell slowly and the section to which they clung was washed free. Oh, we're going somewheres, shouted the girl. Look at the house, that damn old shanty. <laughs> it's seen its last storm. The boy lay with his legs pushed in under Stuart's and had not spoken for some time. When the girl cried, look at that, he tried to burrow in farther. Stuart wiped his eyes to see the wall of darkness dissolve. The rain took on another look, a smooth, piercing, metallic glint, like nails driving against their faces and bodies. There was no horizon. They could see nothing except the rushing water and a thickening mist that must have been rain. Miles and miles of rain slammed by the wind into one great wall that moved remorselessly upon them. Hang on, Stuart said, gripping the girl. Hang on to me. Waves washed over the roof, pushing objects at them with soft muted thuds, pieces of fence, boards, branches heavy with foliage. Stuart tried to ward them off with his feet. Water swirled around them, sucking at them, sucking the roof until they were pushed against one of the farm buildings. Something crashed against the roof, another section of the house, and splintered, flying up against the girl. She was thrown backwards, away from Stuart, who lunged after her. They fell into the water while the boy screamed. The girl's arms threshed wildly against Stuart. Oh, the water was cold, and its aliveness, its sinister energy surprised him more than the thought that he would drown that he would never endure the night. Struggling with the girl, he forced her back to the roof and pushed her up. Bare, twisted nails raked his hands. Damn you, Jackie, you give a hand, the girl said as Stuart crawled back up. He lay exhausted, flat on his stomach and let the water and debris slosh over him. His mind was calm, 
beneath the surface buzzing. He liked to think that his mind was a clear, sane circle of quiet, carefully preserved inside the chaos of the storm, that the three of them were safe within the sanctity of this circle. This was how man always conquered nature, how he subdued things greater than himself. But whenever he did speak to her, it was in short grunts, in her own idiom, This ain't so bad, or it'll let up pretty soon. Now the girl held him in her arms as if he were a child, and he did not have the strength to pull away. Of his own free will, he had given himself to this storm, or to the strange desire to save someone in it. But now he felt grateful for the girl, even for her brother, for they had saved him as much as he had saved them. Stuart thought of his wife at home, walking through the rooms, waiting for him. He thought of his daughters in their twin beds, two glasses of water on their bureau. But these people knew nothing of him. In his experience now, he did not belong to them. Perhaps he had misunderstood his role, his life. Perhaps he had blundered out of his way, drawn into the wrong life, surrendered to the wrong role. What had blinded him to the possibility of many lives, many masks, many arms that might so embrace him? A word not heard one day, a gesture misinterpreted, a leveling of someone's eyes in a certain unmistakable manner which he had mistaken just the same. The consequences of such errors might trail insanely into the future, across miles of land, across worlds. He only now sensed the incompleteness of his former life. Look, look! The girl cried, jostling him out of his stupor. Look at that, mister! He raised himself on one elbow. A streak of light broke out of the dark. Lanterns, he thought. A rescue party already. But the rain dissolved the light. And then it reappeared with a beauty that startled him. What is it? The boy screamed. How come it's here? They watched it filter through the rain, rays knifing through and showing now how buildings and trees crouched close about them. It's the sun, the sun going down, the girl said. Oh, the sun, said Stuart, who had thought it was night. The sun, they stared at it until it disappeared 
the waves calmed sometime before dawn. By then the roof had lost its peak and water ran unchecked over it in generous waves and then in thin waves alternately as the roof bobbed up and down. The three huddled together with their backs to the wind. Water came now in slow drifts. It's just got to spread itself out far enough so it'll be even, said the girl, and then it'll go down. She spoke without sounding tired, only a little disgusted, as if things weren't working fast enough to suit her. Soon as it goes down, we'll start toward town and see if there ain't somebody coming out to get us in a boat, she said, chattily and comfortably into Stuart's ear. Her manner astonished Stuart, who had been thinking all night of the humiliation and pain he had suffered. Bet the old jerk will be glad to see us, she said, even if he did go off like that. Well, he never knew a storm was coming. Me and him get along pretty well. He ain't so bad. She wiped her face. It was filthy with dirt and blood. He'll buy you a drink, mister, for saving us how you did. <laughs> and that was something to have happen. A man just driving up to get us. And she poked Stuart in the ribs. The wind warmed as the sun rose. Rain turned to mist and back to rain again still falling heavily, and now objects were clear about them. The roof had been shoved against the corner of the barn and a mound of dirt, and eddied there without much trouble. Right about them in a kind of halo, a thick blanket of vegetation and filth bobbed. The fence had disappeared, and the house had collapsed and been driven against a ridge of land. The barn itself had fallen in, but the stone support looked untouched, and it was against this they'd been shoved. Stuart thought he could see his car or something over there where the road used to be. I bet it ain't deep. Hell, said the girl, sticking her foot into the water. The boy leaned over the edge and scooped up some of the filth in his hands. Look at all the spiders, he said. He wiped his face slowly. Oh, leave them damn spiders alone, said the girl. You want me to shove them down your throat? She slid to the edge and lowered her legs. Yeah. I touch bottom. It ain't bad. But then she began coughing and drew herself back. Her coughing made Stuart cough. His chest and throat were ravaged, shaken. He lay exhausted when the fit 
left him and realized suddenly that they were all sick, that something had happened to them. They had to get off the roof. Now, with the sun up, things did not look so bad. There was a ridge of trees a short distance away on a long red clay hill. We'll go over there, Stuart said. Do you think you can make it? The boy played in the filth without looking up, but the girl gnawed at her lip to show she was thinking. I suppose so, she said, but him, I don't know about him. Your brother, what's wrong? Turn around. Hey, stupid, turn around, she prodded the boy, who jerked around, terrified, to stare at Stuart. His thin, bony face gave way to a drooping mouth. <sighs> Gone loony, it looks like, the girl said, with a touch of regret. Oh, he had times like this before. It might go away. Stuart was transfixed by the boy's stare. The realization of what had happened struck him like a blow, sickening his stomach. Well, we'll get him over there, he said, making his words sound good. We can wait there for someone to come, someone in a boat. He'll be better there. I suppose so, said the girl, vaguely. Stuart carried the boy while the girl splashed eagerly ahead the water was sometimes up to his thighs. Hold on another minute, he pleaded. The boy stared out at the water as if he thought he were being taken somewhere to be drowned. Put your arms around my neck. Hold on, Stuart said. He shut his eyes, and every time he looked up, the girl was still a few yards ahead, and the hill looked no closer. The boy breathed hollowly, coughing into Stuart's face. His own face and neck were covered with small red bites. Ahead, the girl walked with her shoulders lunged forward as if to hurry her there, her great thighs straining against the water, more than a match for it. As Stuart watched her, something, oh, was on the side of his face, in his ear, and with a scream, he slapped at it, nearly dropping the boy. The girl whirled around. Stuart slapped at his face and must have knocked it off, probably a spider. The boy, upset by Stuart's outcry, began sucking in air faster and faster as if he were dying. Oh, I'm all right. I I'm all right, Stuart whispered. Just hold on another minute. When he finally got to the hill... The girl helped pull him up. He set the boy down with a grunt, trying to put the boy's legs under him so he could stand. But the boy sank to the ground and turned over and vomited into the water. His body shook as if he were having convulsions. Again, the thought that the night had poisoned them. Their own breaths had sucked germs into their bodies struck Stuart with an irresistible force. Let him lay down and rest, the girl said, pulling tentatively at the back of her brother's belt. 
as if she were thinking of dragging him farther up the slope. We sure do thank you, mister, she said. Stuart climbed to the crest of the hill. His heart pounded madly. Blood pounded in his ears. What was going to happen? Was anything going to happen? How disappointing it looked. Ridges of land showing through the water and the healthy sunlight pushing back the mist. Who would believe him when he told of the night, of the times when death seemed certain? Anger welled up in him already as he imagined the tolerant faces of his friends, his children's faces ready to turn to other amusements, other oddities. His wife would believe him. She would shudder, holding him, burying her small face in his neck. But what could she understand of his experience, having no part in it? Stuart suddenly cried out. He had nearly stepped on a tangle of snakes. Were they alive? He backed away in terror. The snakes gleamed wetly in the morning light, heads together as if conspiring, four, five of them. They too had swum for this land. They too had survived the night. They had as much reason to be proud of themselves as Stuart. He gagged and turned away. Down by the water line, the boy lay flat on his stomach and the girl squatted nearby, wringing out her denim jacket. The water behind them caught the sunlight and gleamed mightily, putting them into silhouette. The girl's arms moved slowly, hard with muscle. The boy lay coughing gently, watching them. Stuart was beset by a strange desire. He wanted to run at them, demand their gratitude, their love. Why should they not love him when he had saved their lives, when he had lost what he was just the day before, turned now into a different person, a stranger, even to himself? Stuart stooped and picked up a rock. A broad, hot hand seemed to press against his chest. He threw the rock out into the water and said, Hey! The girl glanced around, but the boy did not move. Stuart sat down on the soggy ground and waited. After a while, the girl looked away. She spread the jacket out to dry. Great Banked clouds rose into the sky, reflected in the water, jagged and bent in the waves. Stuart waited as the sun took over the sky. Mist at the horizon glowed, thinned, gave way to solid shapes. Light did not strike cleanly across the land, but was marred by ridges of trees and parts of buildings, and around a corner at any time, Stuart expected to see a rescuing party in a rowboat or something. Hey, mister, he woke. Oh, he must have been dozing. 
The girl had called him. Hey, why don't you come down here? There are all them snakes up there. Stuart scrambled to his feet. When he stumbled downhill, embarrassed and frightened, the girl said chattily, The snakes are crawling all over here. He chased them away. The boy was on his feet and looking around with an important air. His coming alive startled Stuart. Indeed, the coming alive of the day of the world evoked alarm in him. All things came back to what they were. The girl's alert eyes, the firm set of her mouth, had not changed. The sunlight had not changed, or the land, really, only Stuart had been changed. He wondered at it, and the girl must have seen something in his face that he himself did not yet know about, for her eyes narrowed, her throat gulped a big swallow, her arms moved slowly up to show her raw elbows. We'll get rid of them, Stuart said, breaking the silence. Him and me, we'll do it. The boy was delighted. I got a stick, he said, waving a thin whip-like branch. There's some over here. We'll get them, Stuart said. But when he started to walk, a rock slipped loose and he fell back into the mud. He laughed aloud. The girl, squatting a few feet away, watched him silently. Stuart got to his feet, still laughing. You know much about it, kid? He said, cupping his hand on the boy's head. About what? Said the boy. Killing snakes, said Stuart. I suppose, I suppose you just kill them. The boy hurried alongside Stuart. I need a stick, Stuart said. They got him one from the water, about the size of an axe. Go by that bush, Stuart said. There might be some there. The boy attacked the bush in a frenzy. He nearly fell into it. His enthusiasm somehow pleased Stuart, but there were no snakes in the bush. Go down that way, Stuart ordered. He glanced back at the girl. She watched them. Stuart and the boy went on with their sticks, held in midair. God put them here to keep us awake, the boy said brightly. See, we don't forget about him. Mud sucked at their feet. Last year, we couldn't fire the woods on account of it so dry. This year, can't either on account of the water. We got to get the snakes like this. Stuart hurried as if he had somewhere to go. The boy, matching his steps, went faster and faster, panting, waving his stick angrily in the air. The boy complained about snakes and listening to him, fascinated by him. In that instant, Stuart saw everything. He saw the conventional dawn that had mocked the night, had mocked his desire to help people in trouble. He saw beyond that his father's home, emptied now, even of ghosts. He realized that 
the God of these people had indeed arranged things, had breathed the order of chaos into forms, had animated them, had animated even Stuart himself 40 years ago. Oh, the knowledge of this fact struck him about the same way as the nest of snakes had struck him, an image leaping right to the eye, pouncing upon the mind, joining itself with the perceiver. Hey, hey, cried the boy who had found a snake. The snake crawled noisily and not very quickly up the slope, a brown speckled snake. The boy ran clumsily after it. Stuart was astonished at the boy's stupidity, at his inability to see now that the snake had vanished. Still, he ran along the slope, waving his stick, shouting, I'll get you! I'll get you! This must have been the sign Stuart was waiting for. When the boy turned, Stuart was right behind him. It got away up there, the boy said. We got to get it. When Stuart lifted his stick, the boy fell back a step, but went on in mechanical excitement. It's up there gotten hid in the weeds. It ain't me, he said. It ain't me that Stuart's blow struck the boy on the side of the head and the rotted limb shattered into soft, wet pieces. The boy stumbled down toward the water. He was coughing when Stuart took hold of him and began shaking him madly, and he did nothing but cough violently and with all his concentration, even when Stuart began to grab a rock and brought it down on his head. Stuart let him fall into the water. He could hear him breathing and he could see about the boy's lips, tiny flecks or bubbles of blood appearing and disappearing with his breath. When the boy's eyes opened, Stuart fell upon him. They struggled savagely in the water. Again, the boy went limp. Stuart stood panting and waited. Nothing happened for a minute or so. But then he saw something. The boy's fingers moving up through the water, soaring to the surface. Will you quit it? Stuart screamed. He was about to throw himself upon the boy again when the thought of the boy's life bubbling out between his lips, moving his fingers, filled him with such outraged disgust that he backed away. He threw the rock out into the water and ran back, stumbling to where the girl stood. 
She had nothing to say. Her jaw was hard, her mouth a narrow line, her thick nose oddly white against her dirty face. Only her eyes moved, and these were black, lustrous, at once demanding and terrified. She held a board in one hand. Stuart did not have time to think, but as he lunged toward her, he could already see himself grappling with her in the mud, forcing her down, tearing her ugly clothing from her body. Look it, she cried, the way a person might speak to a horse. Look it. She was cautious and coaxing and pointed behind him. Stuart turned to see a white boat moving toward him, a half mile or so away. Immediately his hands dropped, his mouth opened in awe. The girl still pointed, breathing carefully, and Stuart, his mind shattered by the broken sunshine upon the water, turned to the boat, raised his hands, and cried out, Save me! Save me! He had waded out a short distance by the time the men arrived. Good night.